Hi, everybody. Great to have you with us on an edition of Strong as Steel that many of us have been waiting for since we uh, started to put the football in the air in this 2017 season. Oh, yeah. Conference championship game week all over the landscape. Michael Regai, along with our producer, uh, Jim Nabosna, and, of course, the man that is ready to analyze and evaluate and bring you everything you need to know about this huge conference championship game weekend and and others going on and a few other conferences to wrap up the regular season around the FBS as we say hi to uh, the guru of Strong as Steel, Phil Steele. What's going on, Phil? How excited are you? I'm pretty excited. And it's, uh, you know, playoffs actually start this weekend, Michael, because there are playoff elimination games. And uh, you could say that the Auburn-Georgia game is a game where the winner gets in and the loser is out. Mm-hmm. You could say the Clemson-Miami-Florida game, the winner is in, the loser is out. And that's what I love about the four-team playoff. We're going to get four great teams in the playoffs and the regular season and these conference championship weeks are actually playoff games each and every week. Uh, you have to win your games and uh, during the season. so it's, And it seems like it was just yesterday we were starting to be preseason previews on these teams. How did it get to be December already? Yes. I do, Phil, I do not know. I don't have the answer to that question for you, my man. So let's just continue to love what we're doing and uh, concentrate on things. I, I couldn't help but think about our show this morning. You know, we, as we open the show with that, that music bet and the game call bet, Auburn's going to win the football game. Well, that was from kick six, right? Back in 2013, and boy, Auburn won a big, big football game on Saturday that we're going to get into. So you guys can jump on board. Now, now one stipulation today. Obviously, um, I'm going to get Phil into the evaluations of all of the Power Five championship games that take place this weekend. And, of course, we're going to take a look at the AAC as well with UCF and Memphis. Uh, others that might be in the AAC, as I said, uh, we will take care of that. You guys got questions about the, some of the others? Feel free. Bring them. Throw them in. 646-668-2248. 646-668-2248. Last night, the College Football Playoff Committee says it goes this way right now. Clemson, Auburn, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, top four. Bama, five. Georgia, Miami, Ohio State, six, seven, and eight. We will throw that out. So you have that precursor as we start our uh, our look ahead to conference championship week. So, Phil, let's get rolling uh, on Friday night, the Pac-12 conference championship game. Uh, This one has uh, now started to take on, I think, some bigger meaning in the last couple weeks. Uh, the 11th-ranked Trojan, and that's their college football playoff rank, uh, uh, of USC against the Stanford Cardinal, USC 10-2, Stanford 9-3. and Philip, the Trojans hung that 18-point loss on the Cardinal in the Coliseum in Week 2. Now, that's way back in September 9th. Uh, Sam Darnold dropped 316 yards on the Stanford D through four TD passes. He went 21-26, did throw a couple of picks. But the Trojans still ran for 310 yards with uh, Stephen Carr and Ronald Jones just gashing uh, the Stanford D. 28-16 win. Uh, sensible out loss at Notre Dame, Phil. Those, uh, those men of Troy, the USC Trojans, have rolled the four straight wins. Stanford's won three in a row after their week nine loss at Washington State. Impressive wins over Washington and Notre Dame, uh, 38-20 last week. 
We love David Shaw, one of the best head coaches going, does a terrific job, and uh, he's got Bryce Love back healthy again, ran for a buck twenty-five against the Irish. Phil K.J. Costello took over for Keller Christ about four weeks ago, solid. Both USC and Stanford playing strong football, Phil Steele. Where do you see the potential edge here? Well, you know, you look at Stanford, and uh, they are playing very good football. Now, the last two games, as a home underdog, they beat Washington and actually held the Huskies to 135 yards rushing, which was impressive. And then taking on that Notre Dame attack, which came in averaging nearly seven yards a carry, held them to 3.5. Notre Dame could run nothing up the middle. That's because of their outstanding nose guard, Harrison Phillips, one of the best defensive linemen in the country. It's a very good defensive front seven for Stanford. And one that surprises me is that they're allowing five yards per carry in Pac-12 play. That's one that has me scratching my head because they're probably too good a defense to be doing that. And you mentioned K.J. Costello. Uh, K.J. Costello hasn't really impressed me that much, but he did against Notre Dame. He was sort of took charge of that offense. He completed a lot of key passes, especially on third down. Notre Dame couldn't get him off the field. Now, the one thing about that game I'll mention about the Notre Dame game, uh, Notre Dame was actually up 20-17. to 17. Stanford scored a touchdown then. Notre Dame was intercepted on the next play. Stanford scored a short touchdown. Notre Dame fumbled the kickoff on the next play. Stanford scored a short touchdown. So it's not like they dominated the game 38-20. to 20. In fact, Notre Dame had a 415-328 to 328 yard edge in that game, uh, but Stanford got the win. Now, the one guy you don't want to go against as an underdog is David Shaw, but in this case, I'm going to. And the reason is, I feel USC's the better team. You look at their Pac-12 defense, USC's given up 3.9, Stanford 5.0. USC's given up 56% completion, Stanford 61. I thought Costello and the receivers took advantage of an undersized uh, Notre Dame secondary last week. USC doesn't have that problem. They've got some good guys like Biggie Marshall, which don't give up that size advantage that Notre Dame did last week. So I think the Irish defense will do a better job shutting down the pass. And offensively, Ronald Jones is one of the most electric running backs in the country, 6.3 yards per carry. Sam Darnold, while he threw seven interceptions the first four games, only has five interceptions since. So he's playing much better football. And then you look at the fact that Bryce Love. Now, I've watched this guy play, and you talk about a gutsy football player. Just put him in the first-team All-American category, and clearly a Heisman contender. Bryce Love's been playing on one leg, one ankle, basically. His other ankle keeps coming out of every game. You think he's done for good. He'll come back in and still rip off that 25-yard run. This guy's playing on guts, but let's keep in mind, Stanford's playing on a short week. They played on Saturday. Now they have to play on Friday. They are a banged-up team. A lot of players coming off the field last week against Notre Dame. Meanwhile, USC, they're fresh as a daisy. While they played 12 straight games during the season, they had a bye last week. And when they lost to Notre Dame, they were one of the most beat-up teams in football. They had about 25 players on the injury report. That injury report's a lot less right now. So I think you have a the stronger team in a humongous, great situation with the bye, catching the other team on a short week with a banged-up Bryce Love. I like USC to win this one. It won't be easy, but I've got USC winning that one by about 10. By about 10, double digits, huh? I'm with you, Phil. I like USC to win this football game as well, and that's uh, you know, an unabashed uh, David Shaw admirer again. Uh, you know, we'll see. Clay Helton um, has had his distractors this year. Uh, with regard, but but they've been rolling. You're absolutely right. They've been rolling, and uh, I, uh, Phil and I both uh, like USC in this one. And by the way, Phil, if that there's rumblings, if Stanford does lose in this one, 
this uh, could set up maybe a holiday bowl that uh, pits David Shaw on the Stanford Cardinal who, uh, against uh, his former boss and uh, a guy he's been a protege of, Jim Harbaugh, and the Michigan Wolverines. That might be tasty, a Stanford-Michigan uh, holiday bowl as well. Wow, that would be exciting. <laughs> I haven't really been yeah. paying attention yeah. to the bowl forecast, but that's, that's, that would be must-see TV. Well, you and I will be getting into all of that when the bowl matchups are announced, of course, as uh, we always do. And Phil will have uh, his confidence poll ready to roll for you that all of you strongest steel listeners can get involved in. But, yeah, it's just a little tidbit. A little tidbit there should Stanford go down this week. Uh, could be Harbaugh versus Shaw in the uh, the Holiday Bowl. Of course, uh, again, David Shaw was uh, on Jim Harbaugh's staff while he was at Stanford. Strongest steel, great to have you along. Uh, with it uh, again, we'll we'll get your calls. We're going to take care of all of the uh, of all of the uh, the power five, but there's some big ones in the group of five as well. At six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. How about Saturday, Ford Field in Detroit, Michigan, the MAC championship game from the group of five. Here's Derek from Columbus with some thoughts on Toledo and Akron for Phil. Hey, Derek, welcome. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh hope you guys are doing good today. And uh, I was looking at the MAC game, and I don't know who's going to play quarterback for Akron, um, which is kind of why I'm leaning the way that I am. Um, but what? what's the latest? And uh, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Take care. I appreciate that, Derek. And uh, the latest is uh, that Woodson has been cleared for the for Akron, but you wonder – do you uh, put Woodson in, or do you stick with uh, their quarterback right now? He's playing pretty good, because if you go back two games ago and uh, look at that Akron game against Ohio U, uh, I thought that Cato uh, Nelson played a great game. Now, granted, last week, Cato Nelson didn't play a great game. Uh, Nelson only hit 6 of 20 passes, but he did throw for 322 in a big game against Ohio. Might have been a little bit of a letdown situation against Kent State last week. And do you pull Cato Nelson for Thomas Woodson? I think maybe Nelson's even taken the job. So either way you look at it, I think Akron's in good shape. Now, everything about this game says it's a mismatch, and that's why it's the biggest line of the week. Toledo's about a 21.5-point favorite for this game. You know, last year the Rockets played Akron. They beat them 49-17 to on the road. Uh, this year, Toledo at home beat them 48 to 21, put up 623 yards on them. Tommy Bowden sort of performed a magic act, winning the MAC East this year. Akron is minus 94 yards per game in MAC play, but they went six and two. Uh, they did have a 443 to 395 yard edge beating Ohio. Toledo and Ohio, Ohio actually had a 532-316 yard edge against Toledo, which is interesting. Toledo's got three running backs that have topped 575 yards this year, combined for over 2,000 yards and 5.8 yards per carry. Akron's top rusher, Manny Morgan, 342 yards, 3.9. Akron's got Logan Woodside, who's hitting 65% with a 24-3 ratio. I just talked about Cato Nelson and Thomas Woodson. There's question marks there. Toledo gives up 355 yards per game in MAC play, playing in the tougher Western Division. Akron's allowed 416 yards per game, playing in the 
Eastern Division. And this game's in Detroit. Toledo's right on the border of Michigan. They'll have the crowd edge. My computer calls for a blowout. Everything says blowout. But just something about Tommy Bowden. Now he's sort of got them in here somehow. And the spread is so high for a championship game like this. And what happens many times, like in the bowls, is when a team's a big favorite, they pretty much think they could throw their hats on the field and win. And the underdog gets to be fired up all week. I like Toledo to win and win big, but I'm only going to call for him to win about 17. Michael here is our Mac guy. Let's see what he has to say. Ah, Phil Steele, yeah. And and listen, I've got some little extra added intel to our strongest Steele listeners to the question that Derek asked. So I'm on the Akron campus yesterday, Phil. I was calling basketball last night. The Akron Zips basketball team, as uh, they went on to to win over uh, UT Chattanooga. Um, So I happened to kind of get by practice, football practice yesterday for a little bit. And the intel, Phil, is that it's going to be Cato Nelson who is going to get the call. Um, Now, Coach Bowden has not ruled out uh, Thomas Woodson, who has been his starting quarterback the last three years, playing in this game. But they're going to go with Nelson, kind of a gut feel. So here's the sense I get. If, If Nelson plays well, and you brought it out beautifully, Phil, like he did against Ohio, I think he's going to stick with him and ride it out. Why not? If he could put up that kind of offense. If they falter, he struggles a little bit. I think he'll go back to the veteran uh, Thomas Woodson. Regardless, though, I think it would be very difficult for Akron to uh, spring the upset over Toledo and Ford Field. So I'm with you on that, a a decisive Toledo win. But look for Nelson, uh, Cato Nelson, to continue to be the guy. All right, strongest steel, we're rolling on. What a big, big weekend we've got coming up. You guys need all the evaluation and analysis, and that's why we're here to do that. Phil Steele, let's uh, roll on, my friend. And I'm going to be right around Charlotte, North Carolina Saturday. I'm calling the, uh, the, the second-round FCS playoff game on ESPN. Uh, which pits uh, the Furman Paladins and the uh, the eighth seed, the the Walford Terriers. So I'm gonna be in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Phil, which is about an hour away from Charlotte. I don't know. I don't know. Better keep a rope on me because after I get out of that booth, I may try to run up to Charlotte <laughs> to check out the ACC championship uh, matchup. Number one, Clemson, 11 and one on the year, and. Uh, number seven, Miami Hurricanes at 10-1. and one. All right, Phil, so here the defending national champs are. They're going to enter this, uh, their championship. They hope to enter at number one with a resounding win over Miami in this ACC title game. Um, they blasted South Carolina 34-10 to 10 last week. Clemson did. Very one-sided. Tigers dominated. And, you know, October 13th was a 27-24 loss, right? It's Syracuse. That Mars, that Slater, they'd be undefeated. Their QB, Kelly Bryant, he returned from concussion in that game. And Phil, since then, they're averaging 32 points per game in all of their wins since Bryant has uh, come back. And I'm, I'm taking out, Phil, because I, I know you would, partner. I'm taking out the blowout win over Citadel two weeks ago there. But uh, in the others in the ACC games are averaging 32 a game. We know their defense is stingy, one of the best in the nation. They only gave up 207 yards at South Carolina last week. And, Phil, we, uh, Miami, the Canes had the largest stumble last week. We talked about it on the show, 24-14 loss at Pitt. They couldn't get it done. They couldn't run the ball, only 45 yards on the ground against Pat Narduzzi's defense, Malik Rozier, uh, didn't complete 50%, 15-31, just a buck 87. 
Pitt ran the football solidly. So the bottom line, they fall seven spots. Or fall to number seven, rather, in the uh, CFP rankings. And must win to have any shot, which isn't even guaranteed to get in the playoffs. Phil Clemson seems primed to thrive in the Charlotte setting once again and the home of the Carolina Panthers and move into the semis with a, a shot to win it all again. You, you see it that way in this matchup with Miami? And, you know, what did I tell you last week, Michael? I said, I've got Miami as my number two surprise team, and I'm scared. Scared of this Pittsburgh situation. Yes. Uh, yes. Miami has not beaten big teams big. They play down the level of their competition. Pitt's at home, cold weather. A whole bunch of factors in Pitt's favor, and it played right out like way, like I was scared of, and Miami goes down. But the good news, if you're Miami, uh, is they've got another big game on deck. And they play their best in their big games. They went on the road and beat Florida State. Uh, they crushed Virginia Tech. They crushed Notre Dame. Granted, both of those two are at home, but Florida State was on the road. So they're 3-0 and in big games, and they're back to the big game. Now, I can make a case for Clemson. They clearly are going to have the crowd edge here. I mean, they're only they're very close being uh, South Carolina and North Carolina. Meanwhile, Miami fans don't travel as well as Clemson fans do. Uh, this is actually Miami's first ever trip to an ACC title game. Clemson, heck, they've been in nine ACC title games or playoffs recently, and Dabo Sweeney is 8-1 and one against the spread. So they know how to win big games. Clemson's taken on the tougher schedule, number 28 against 46. They're plus 85 yards per game in ACC play, Miami just 24. So a great case for Clemson. But here's why I actually lean with Miami plus the points to make a game of this. Uh, you take a look at the fact that uh, prior to last week's loss for Miami, they pr- Clemson probably was only going to be about a four- or five-point favorite in the game, but everybody reacts to last week's loss, and I do not feel that loss hurt their chances whatsoever. If Miami wins this game, the ACC one-loss champion is in the playoffs. So this is a national title elimination game. Winner gets in the playoffs. It's an actual playoff game this week. And as mentioned, Miami plays their best in the big games. And interestingly, these two teams have faced only four common opponents all year, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and Clemson. Now, in those games, Clemson outgained their opponents by 54 yards per game. Miami outgained their opponents by 86 yards per game. So they've actually against the same exact competition, done a little better. I love Miami's defensive front seven. I think you're going to see Malik Rozier play like Malik Rozier had played earlier in the year. Remember, they even benched him for a series last week. Travis Homer's still there. And uh, I'm going to say Miami makes a game of this and potentially even pulls the upset. And the spread, by the way, is 9.5 or 10. That number's been climbing all week. I think the public will be all over Clemson in this one with Miami off a loss. So you can wait until it gets to 10. And then once it gets to 10, Go ahead, pounce. Could even go above ten by the end of the week. Aha! Uh-huh. I see how Phil Steele's playing that. Okay, uh, strong evaluation as always. I love your uh, you know yards per game comparison in the uh, the common opponents, Phil. That's uh, that's terrific. Um, I uh, while I'll agree with you on uh, being able to play a strong football game and maybe be there in the fourth quarter. I do not see Miami with an opportunity to beat the Clemson Tigers. I think Dabo Swinney's football team. I I believe they uh, they are the best team in the country, and I think they're going to show everybody why here on Saturday. So, uh, but you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, Mark Rick maybe maybe can uh, keep it tight and then maybe have something go his way late. So an intriguing matchup in the ACC. One thing I want to point out there uh, in your last four games for Clemson, remember they only beat NC State by seven 
and they were actually outgained right. by 76 yards in that game. And the Florida State game was 17-14, late fourth quarter, and Florida State had the ball. And so Florida State actually had a chance at the upset. Then Miami got a touchdown, and then Florida State went for it on fourth and 12 at their own 14-yard line. And then Clemson didn't go to a knee. They went and punched a touchdown in for a 17-point win, which really wasn't a 17-point win at home. So I just thought I'd throw those two factors out. Yeah, no, sure. Listen, I, and I know you mentioned Miami winning in. Here's the thing, because we got so much, a two-loss Auburn. I think far and away the best two-loss team in the country. They got Ohio State with two losses, very good football team. USC, two losses, very good football team. Phil Steele, the committee to me has shown great love to Clemson all year long, and as well they should. Is there any chance, any chance in a a tight, I mean a tight one, two, three point game decided at the gun. Uh, Miami win that they'd keep Clemson in the top four. Well, they would need Ohio State to uh, win. They need TCU to win. And if those two things happen, the possibility would be there. But, Michael, I'm only going to put the chance at about 25%, and only 25% because they are currently number one. Uh, I think if you compare them against yep. Alabama, Alabama would have one loss to their two, and neither would be a conference champion. Yep. And I feel Alabama would most likely get in. And if you compare them to Ohio State, while Clemson probably has been more impressive in the big games this year, they would both have two losses, but Ohio State would have the conference championship over them. So I think both of those chips sure. turn into it would probably keep Clemson out of it. I think the ACC winner, though, definitely is, right. whether it's Miami or Clemson. Yeah, well, I only bring it up because, again, I feel there has, I think it's rightfully so, tremendous love shown by the committee to uh, the Clemson Tigers and, and Dabo Sweeney all year long, especially after, you know, the Syracuse loss by three when uh, Kelly Bryant got injured. But that's all the intrigue that's uh, that sets up all these championship games this week. And we uh, invite you, we're covering uh, all of them. There, there's a few others. There's a couple of Sunbelt regular season finales that are uh, that are coming up this week. Of course, we have a couple of, we've already done one, group of five championship games uh, going on. Let's uh, swing into uh, Canton. Let's, uh, let's let uh, our man Bob, who's a good, strongest steel listener, set up the Big 12 championship game that's coming up this week between Oklahoma number three and number nine TCU. Hello, Bob. How you doing? What's on your mind with this one? Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this uh, this Big 12 game. Uh, hello, Mike and Spill. Um, so they just played a couple uh, couple weeks ago, and I don't think I don't think TCU has enough still. I don't think they have enough still. The line is only seven. I'm leaning towards Oklahoma. Have a good one, guys. All right. Appreciate the call. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is. I think uh, this one's probably going to be a little bit more competitive than the first game was. Keep in mind, the first game, Oklahoma was at home for that one. Uh, they jumped out to a big 38-14 to halftime lead. They actually put up 395 yards at the half. Now, Oklahoma fans will tell you they went conservative in the second half. But in reality, they were still trying to score. And TCU did shut them out in the second half. And you talk about second-half adjustments. We talked about our love for David Shaw. How about my love for Gary Patterson, the head coach at TCU? I think he's one of the most underrated coaches out there. And believe it or not, in the second half this year of their final seven games of the year, TCU allowed a grand total of six points, two field goals, 
That's it in the second half of seven games. So he makes tremendous halftime adjustments each and every week. And when you look at this matchup, you know, all Big 12 schools play the same exact schedule. TCU is plus 161 yards per game. Excuse me, Oklahoma's plus 161 yards per game. TCU's just plus 59 yards per game. Now, Big 12 opponents, uh, when you look at, Ohio, at Oklahoma, they gain 198 yards per game more than their opponents allow. TCU's actually minus 27, so huge offensive edge. I mean, Baker Mayfield, 71%, 37-5 ratio. TCU lost their top running back a few weeks back. They've got last year's top running back back, though, and he's the rusher here. But Oklahoma's got a plethora of running backs, led by Rodney Anderson, who's finally healthy. He rushed for 715 yards, had 256 receiving in the last six games. The Sooners' O-line is probably the best in the country. Opened up holes for 200 yards per game rush in their first meeting. Now, you might think I'm painting a picture for an easy Oklahoma win, but TCU has a large edge on defense. They hold their opponents to 122 yards per game below their season average. And Oklahoma's defense, they actually give their opponents three yards more than they come in averaging. So that's a large edge there. And how about special teams? I rate TCU number 18 and Oklahoma number 90. That's part of the reason that TCU's been winning all these games. Now, my computer actually only calls for a four-point win for Oklahoma, but the yards say that Oklahoma wins by nine. Now, I had Oklahoma in that first matchup. I think this one will be closer, but I still think that Oklahoma offense is nearly unstoppable. As I mentioned, on the season, they're actually gaining 203 yards more than their opponents come in averaging. I've never seen numbers like that. Baker Mayfield and company, I think, can score on anybody. In the long run, I'm going to take Oklahoma to win this one, something like 38 to 27. I'm going to take the Sooners minus the seven. So I agree with you. I appreciate the call. And by the way, Oklahoma wins. They're in. TCU wins. I don't think they make the playoffs. Uh, if TCU wins, the committee will either go with a one-loss Alabama or the Big Ten champion. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so if you're an Ohio State fan, you, you, you root for the Horned Frogs of TCU. Uh, Phil, I, you know, I mean, uh, the, that game, they, they mentioned they trailed 38-14 at the half and then never really recovered. Uh, Kenny Hill, their, uh, the Frogs quarterback, he, well, I tell you what, he's going to need to find a way to, uh, you know, put enough drives together to put enough points on the board to hang. And it's, I'm just, I'm just not sure he and their offense are capable of that. Well, they did have 251 yards at the half and 424 yards for the game. Uh, they just weren't converting them into scores. So uh, it's right. they didn't have any trouble moving the football in the first half. 251 yards is a pretty good outing. But then Oklahoma had 395, and it was actually, uh, prior to the half, Oklahoma scored the last two scores. So it was actually a 24-14 game. I think Oklahoma got two touchdowns in the last five minutes of the half to really turn the tide on that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they led by 24 at the half, and then, of course, the second half was just window dressing. Love Gary Patterson, outstanding head coach. So we're going to find out if he and his defensive coaches can really. I'll bet you they've been uh, burning that midnight oil, Phil, uh, this week. Uh, on, on that campus to try to uh, find some tidbits that they can see on tape to get Baker Mayfield and his buddies slowed down. So we will uh, be closely watching uh, number three, Oklahoma, and number nine, TCU, coming up in uh, the 
Big 12 championship game. Strongest deal we're going through all. I said Phil and I, uh, Jim DeBosna, our producer, all fired up about conference championship week. There are others as well. There's FCS playoff games. I said I'll be a part of that calling uh, Furman and Wofford that you can check out on uh, the Watch ESPN app. Or if you happen to be in the Carolinas, there's some... uh, there's some uh, television regional sports networks that are covering it. So Phil is ready to go there if you want. We've got a couple of regular season windups as well. But for now, as uh, we hit our halftime here on uh, this edition of Strong as Steel, let's move to the SEC. Mm, no Alabama this year. I'm in the SEC Conference Championship game in that brand-new uh, Mercedes-Benz Palace down in Atlanta, Georgia. Number two Auburn at 10-2 and two against the uh, those number six-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. How about a month in November for uh, Go War Eagle, Phil Steele, and Auburn? Impressive wins over two number ones. It beat two number ones in the last three weeks. 40-17 thrashing of Georgia on November 11th last week. That 12.26-14 win over Bama. Tigers led 10-7 at the half. They outscored Bama 16-7 in the second half and win by 12. Now, Phil, the carry-on Johnson, that tremendous running back for uh, the Tigers. That injury looms large. 30 carries, 104 yards against Bama. But the status right now is questionable. Auburn defense, that doesn't ever get questioned. In the Georgia matchup, they held the dogs to 230 yards. Phil, how about this? If you'd have told me you got all my money, Phil, if you'd have said, hey, hey, red guy, uh, the, uh, Auburn's going to stifle Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle and hold them combined to 46 yards rushing in that stellar performance. 40 to 10 blowout. It was save that late Georgia TD to make the final look a little more respectable. Phil, from the Georgia perspective, they ripped Kentucky last week, 42-13. But, Phil, what has to change for Jake Fromm, Nick Chubb, and Sony Michelle to be much more effective than they were three weeks ago when they just got dominated? Well, I think the emotions of the game will change a little bit because going into that game, Georgia was the number one team in the country. Georgia was trying to protect its unbeaten season, the number one ranking. Auburn was at home with a fired-up crowd and an underdog of like four and a half points in the game. That's one of the reasons I liked Auburn a lot. I think these two teams are very close talent-wise. And so it was one of those things where once Auburn started rolling, they just started teeing off on them. When you play on the road, too, your offensive line has to go on a certain snap count because the crowd noise is so loud. Now they're going to be at a neutral site, and Georgia might have a slight home edge here. The game's in Atlanta, Georgia, for crying out loud. The SEC title game's usually pretty split, but I think Georgia will have a slight crowd edge. So I don't think the noise will be as big of a factor and maybe not the snowball approach. Plus, this time, Georgia comes in the underdog, so they've got that little advantage going to them. So I could give all that to Georgia for this game. But I'm still going to side with the Auburn Tigers here. You look at the schedule edge. Remember, Auburn plays in the SEC West, so they play a tougher schedule. While they're playing teams like LSU and and Alabama, George was over there uh, battling your teams like uh, Tennessee and Florida, both in down years. Vanderbilt, a poor season. Kentucky can get pushed around at the line of scrimmage. And it's one of the reasons Georgia's put up such great stats. Uh, Another thing to look at here is in top ten matchups this year, Georgia had two of them. They got by Notre Dame by one on the road. Now, when Notre Dame was unbeaten except for that game, that looked pretty good. But since then, Notre Dame's got handled by Miami of Florida and Stanford, losing those games pretty good. 
That win doesn't look as good right now. Miami beat them by 33. Stanford beat them by 18. Georgia beat them by one. And meanwhile, Auburn has had three top ten matchups. They lost to the defending national champion, Death Valley, second game of the season, but only by seven. That's not a bad loss. They beat number one Georgia by 23, and they have the largest margin of victory in the Iron Bowl since 1969 over Alabama. Now, Auburn's banged up a running back with Kerry and Johnson, as you mentioned. He's still probable. But I like both Cam Martin and Mark Malik Willis. I think they'll be able to do well. And Jarrett Stidham actually leads the SEC, hitting 68% of his passes with a 16-4 ratio. He improves weekly. Uh, I take the edge of quarterback to Auburn. The edge of line of scrimmage, you can't deny it. I mean, all you have to do is look at the film, watch that game, see the way Auburn had a 237-46 to 46 yard edge. I don't think it's going to be that big at the line of scrimmage, but I still think they have at the edge at the line of scrimmage. And Georgia held their SEC foes, mostly from the east, to 113 yards below their season average. Auburn's pretty close playing the foes from the west. So you've got the line of scrimmage advantage, you've got the quarterback advantage, and you've got a team that wins big games. I'm going to say Auburn gets this one. No, it's not going to be anything like that first game. You're, you're not talking about a, uh, a blowout of like 40-17 mm-hmm. to 17 as you touch down Georgia getting a late one. But I still like the Auburn to win this one by a touchdown or so. And the spread's actually two and a half, which is very reasonable. Uh, they have to win by a field goal, and I think Auburn at least does that. And by the way, the SEC winner is win in. The loser of this game is yeah. out. Yeah, it'd be tough to take, even though I believe they're, I mean, uh, uh, Auburn or Clemson, the best football team right now, would be tough, even with a, a close loss, to take a three-loss three. Auburn here. No way. And no way. What, yeah. Right. Uh, what do you, listen, though, what a year Georgia's had, huh, Phil? I mean, uh, when you look at it, uh, I don't, and no one had the projected here, and they've got a shot now with the, you know, with the win, if they can turn that around to you know, be a one-loss football team at 12-1 and one and going to the, going to the, uh, the semifinals of the playoffs. I mean, that would be huge for that program. Yeah, it would. And one of the reasons I didn't pick them right at the top this year was the schedule. I said, boy, they have to play Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Auburn on the road. They eked out that one-point win at Notre Dame, which was huge. Gave the team a lot of confidence, and uh, they played better down the stretch. That at Tennessee game didn't look as intimidating when that one rolled around because Tennessee is nowhere near the team everybody thought they would be. And then, of course, they did lose the Auburn game 40-17. to But you look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, App State, Samford. Mississippi State at home, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Florida, which is really having a down year. That was another reason I thought Georgia might struggle is playing Florida. Florida beating them three straight years. Of course, I wrote the magazine before all those players got suspended for Florida, which I didn't think was going to happen. Right. Uh, South Carolina, they beat right. at home. Kentucky, they beat at home. And then Georgia Tech is getting beat by everybody lately. And if you know how to shut down the option, which they did, they beat them. So I'm still looking for that marquee win other than Notre Dame, which was early in the season, as mentioned. doesn't look quite as good. Good now that Notre Dame's lost two games big. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, and you see, this is uh, you know this is all a part of our evaluation and analysis. You 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 know us. This is how we roll here on Strong as Steel. And now it's come to the culmination, at least, uh, of a league championships being decided. What a weekend it's going to be. And uh, that's why you're here. We're delighted. And, of course, as always now, uh, with us on Blog Talk Radio here live, uh, go to iTunes. Just go to iTunes. You can all you can get any episode of any show we've done going back to the, um, the month of July when we started our preview shows. Phil's alluded to a couple of those and, and, and some of the things that uh, we were looking at and forecast in our preview shows. And, 
Hey, how about that? Some of them have uh, become reality. I remember specifically one of those was don't sleep on Paul Christ and his Wisconsin Badgers. Phil Steele, let's move to the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. They they moved up to number four. So all you Wisconsin fans, we told you, Phil told you, I told you, relax. Keep winning. You're going to be there. They're 12-0. and 12-0, and the only Power 5 unbeaten against uh, the eighth-ranked college football playoff, 10-2 and Ohio State Buckeyes. On Wisconsin, as their, their song says, on their strength of schedule, it's been questioned, dissected, Phil ripped a lot of times in, in many areas, yet here sits Paul Christ and his Badgers as that only Power 5 unbeaten. Many reasons why, especially that defense that, it, to me, I don't, you might say it's the number one defense overall in the nation, but certainly top five in virtually every category that you want to measure. Phil, they've only allowed, this is Jim Leonard, the uh, the former NFL outstanding safety, former Badger. He's the defensive coordinator. Only allowed one opponent to put up over 20 points against him this year. Northwestern, who put up 24 back in week four. Offensively, yeah, Alex Hornibrook, he's not spectacular. He's been effective. He did throw a pick in the Michigan game when they were trailing that I thought, oh, my, is this going to get him again? But uh, he did not last week in the 31 nothing pasting of Minnesota. Phil, Ohio State, they're trying to overcome two losses, and one that glaring loss to Iowa. Um, Phil and I discussed this a lot earlier today before the show. they got to make a statement to the committee. Ideal shot here for the Buckeyes. They overcame a 14-point terrible first quarter last week in the big house in Ann Arbor. They were down 14 to nothing. They only had minus six yards as uh, Michigan Don Brown's defense uh, got after him, and J.T. Barrett started to find some things they like. Even though Barrett went down, uh, his backup, Dwayne Haskins, was terrific as he led uh, four drives that resulted in 17 points. They beat Michigan 31-20. And late TD with about 54 seconds from Mike Weber put a little window dressing on what was a 24-20 game. So Barrett leaves Phil in the third quarter. As I said, Haskins was real sharp, 17 points. He went 6-7 for 94 yards, and he ran the offense flawlessly. Now, Barrett should be ready to go Saturday. Will he and the Ohio State offense, Phil Steele, be balanced and effective enough against one of the best defenses in the country in Wisconsin? What say you, my man? Well, you know, you start out with something you touched on. Ohio State's played the much tougher schedule this year. I read it the 31st toughest schedule. Wisconsin's just down there at number 61. I think there's 64 Power 5 teams, so that is a pretty light schedule. Ohio State's played teams like Michigan State, Oklahoma, Penn State. And despite the fact they've taken on the stronger schedule, Ohio State's actually the stronger team statistically. They're outgaining their Big 12 foes by 254 yards per game in Big Ten play. Wisconsin by just 164. So there's a reason that right now, if you go to my Vegas Power Ratings article on ESPN.com, 
Uh, you can pick up on who Vegas thinks is the number one team in the country, two, three, four, five, all the way down to 25. They are not your AP rankings. They are not your playoff rankings. These are the Vegas rankings, and to me, that's the most accurate ones. And they, those rankings actually have Ohio State up there in the top five. I'll let you go check that article out to find out exactly where, but they are really right near the top. Uh, these two met in the 2014 Big Ten title game. Ohio State's 59 to nothing win with a third-string quarterback, Cardell Jones, put them in the playoffs on their way to the national title. Now, if you think that happens every time Ohio State plays Wisconsin, you'd be mistaken. Uh, they played Wisconsin last year. Badgers led 16-6 at the half. Ohio State got a late field goal to force overtime, one by seven in overtime, and the Badgers actually had a 450 to 411 yard edge. That game was at home. As mentioned, uh, Michael mentioned, J.T. Barrett got injured last week, but he still rates a huge quarterback edge over Hornerbrook. He's hitting 66% with a 33-7 ratio and has run for 683 yards. Hornerbrook doesn't have that type of mobility. And Michael mentioned he didn't throw an interception last week. That's the first time in eight games he hasn't thrown an interception. He's got a 21-13 ratio. <laughs> Both teams have outstanding running backs. Jonathan Taylor, seven yards a carry. Meanwhile, for Ohio State, it's a combination. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Weber's finally healthy. They combined for 1,873 yards, 6.3 yards a carry. And Wisconsin does have my number one rated defense in the country. 237 yards per game in this era of fast-paced football is amazing. Amazing. Now, you know, the old barriers used to be hold them under 300. Now it's hold them under 350, and they're doing 237, holding their opponents to 140 yards per game below their season average. But Ohio State is a good defense as well. They're holding their opponents to 98 yards below the season average. Special teams cost Ohio State against Penn State if you watch that game. Remember, Ohio State had a 529 to 283 yard edge, but special teams and turnovers had them needing a late score in that game to pull out the win. Uh, but, so Wisconsin rates a special teams edge, not a huge one, but number 34 versus 48. Now, here's the one point where I think Wisconsin makes a game of it. They've taken on six top 10 teams the last two years. They've gone three and three, but against the spread, they're four and two. So they've done better than expected. They haven't faced one this year. Meanwhile, Ohio State has taken on six top 10 teams. While they're four and two, they're just one and five against the Vegas number. Last week's game against Michigan, as Michael pointed out, 24-20 late in the game. It was still a toss-up, even though they were a double-digit favorite in the game. Penn State, big favorite, only win by one. And of course, they're lost to Oklahoma, lost to Clemson, which I need to mention. So they haven't really been playing well, or at least up to expectations, uh, in the big games. Uh, we know when you look at this one, the underdog in the Big Ten title game, how about 4-2 and two and 6-0 and oh against the Vegas number? Uh, I looked at the number, and it is Ohio State 6.5 or 7. I do rate Ohio State as the better team. I think they win, but I think it'll be a good game. So this is one that I'm, I'm not really having to decide on as far as the spread goes. I'm going to call for Ohio State to win, which should make Alabama fans pretty happy. Ohio State to win and win by 7. And for the playoff hopes, if Ohio State wins, I think it's going to be tough because the committee pushed Ohio State in the playoffs last year and had it thrown in their face when they got beat by Clemson 31 to nothing. And all somebody has to do is stand up and show the film of that Iowa game where Iowa scored 55 points and 487 yards. And as you pointed out, Michael, the next two weeks combined, they didn't even hit those totals. Uh, I think that's going to be tough for, with two blowout losses on the resume to get in over Alabama, even as the Big Ten champ. If you're an Ohio State fan, root for TCU. TCU wins, Ohio State wins, Buckeyes are in the playoffs. Yeah, Phil laid it out real well there, and what, uh, what uh, he's alluding to with that, you want TCU to win, Ohio State fans need that, 
And yeah, I mean, after after Iowa hung 55 on them in the next two weeks and two Iowa losses, they put 29 points on the board in two games combined. So, you know, yep, that one's hanging out there, no question about it. The strongest steal you know, was other, uh, one other, bringing it to... One other go ahead, quick Phil. note there, Michael, and that is uh, the committee really goes on strength of wins, but in this case, you really have to yes. look at strength of losses. The Ohio State 15-point sure. loss to Oklahoma at home they had a huge crowd edge for that, and then a 31-point loss to Iowa. Meanwhile, what's Alabama's loss? Oh, it was by 12 points at Auburn, and Auburn's one of the best teams in the country, and they were only outgamed by 31 yards in that game. So it's uh, it's not like that. I think if you look at every other team in the country, Michael, and put them at Auburn, Auburn would be the favorite in that game, uh, and that's their only loss. I, I agree. I agree. Yep, Phil and I talked about this. I completely agree. I don't see another team being favored over Auburn. It doesn't mean maybe Oklahoma couldn't go in and, all in and possibly win the football game, USC, but nobody's going to be favored over over Auburn at, uh, at, at Auburn. Jordan-Hare. At Auburn. No one in, yeah, Jordan-Hare. As I said, at Jordan-Hare. Yep, at Jordan-Hare, at Auburn on the Plains. So, uh, all right, we move on. we got about we got about 15 minutes to go, and we still got, I think, wow. nine or ten football games. So, Phil, let's get our, in our two-minute drill, okay? Let's get in our two-minute drill. We'll, we'll roll through these. Uh, let's go to our producer, Jim Nabosna. He's got four of those covered on Twitter. Jimmy, great to have you with us. Go ahead, man. Start blasting away here on Strong and Steel. Here we go. We start off with Eddie Zay, who's asked, I think he will. When you look at North Texas, most of their wins this year have been close. Uh, they're only outgaining their foes by 58 yards per game. FAU's at home playing extremely good football on a great spread streak. Devin Singletary's the player you got to watch here. He's one of the more underrated running backs in the country. Meanwhile, for North Texas, Jeffrey Wilson is out at running back. I like Florida Atlantic to keep it rolling there. Yeah, I'll try to make all these quick, but I've got to get on my soapbox here. The Mountain West has got to change their priorities. At the end of the year, right now, they have a guideline that says if you're the highest rated in their computer system or something, you get the home field edge. I think number one should be if the two teams met head-to-head and the winner of the game has the same or better record, they get to host the Mountain West title game. Other than that, go ahead and go to your computer thing. And in this case, Fresno should be hosting this game. The advantage clearly goes to Boise. They lost last week. I don't think they put their full effort into it. Now they're at home for this one on the blue turf, but they've been overrated at the blue turf for years, and I love the job uh, that Fresno is doing on defense this year. They're playing extremely well. Their new defensive coordinator came from the Canadian Football League, and you you wondered how he was going to adapt to the game. He's adapted pretty well. This is a very good defense for Fresno State. I like Boise to win, but only by like three or four points in that one. At Paul Pasquale 702 says, Troy has revenge on their mind versus Arkansas State this weekend. Do they get it done? Yeah, I, I think in this case, revenge is overrated because Arkansas State's beat them four straight years. So what is it, four times revenge? That means last year they were playing with three times revenge, and the year before that, two times revenge. Sometimes it weighs on your head that you just can't beat them. You know, the Browns played against the Steelers in three rivers with revenge every damn year, and they couldn't beat them for, uh, what, 20 years, Michael? <laughs> so you got to wonder about yeah, that yeah, a little bit. And, right. You know. 
Here's here's an Arkansas State team that's 31 and six at home over the last four years. It's at night. They've got the special teams edge, the defensive edge. Uh, or the defenses are close. They have the offensive edge. Justice Hansen's a guy who was in Oklahoma. And when I talked to Bob Stoops, and we were going over Justice Hansen when he was at Oklahoma, he said he was literally in contention for the starting job. What's he done in the Sun Belt this year? 3,000 yards passing, 32-12 ratio. I think Arkansas is a better team. They're at home. I like uh, the Red Wolves to win that one. And Mike Key wants to know your thoughts on the large over-under of the UCF-Memphis game, and who do you see winning that one? The over-under is worth it. I don't care what you put the number at. I think we're going to see some points on the board. I love Scott Frost's offense. Mackenzie Milton is the guy, the straw that stirs the drink, and he distributes the ball perfectly. But this is a Memphis team that's got Riley Ferguson. They've got a running back in Daryl Henderson. they got receivers that may catch. Anthony Miller, one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, this is a loaded Memphis offense. Both teams play defense at times. I mean, Central Florida gave up 653 yards to South Florida last week. Memphis giving up 454 yards per game on the season. I think you will see a lot of points. The number is probably in the 80s. Yeah, 83. I still got to go over on that. And I think Memphis makes a game of it. They played earlier in the year. UCF beat them 40-13, to 13, but Memphis was all banged up. They're a little bit healthier for this one. I like Memphis to keep it closer, but I do like UCF and Scott Frost to get the win. And then I'll project that Scott Frost, after the game is over, announces I'm off to Nebraska, my fine feathered friend, and I think he'll do extremely good there. Good, good to have them bring back more of an option type of offense at Nebraska if he goes there. Yeah, how about that? Back to where it all began, potentially, if uh, as Phil alludes to, that he winds up 12 and 0, perfect season uh, with uh, the Knights of Central Florida, and then he goes back to where he quarterbacked and tries to revive and resuscitate the Nebraska job. Uh, good stuff uh, from our producer Jim Nabasa and all of you. We appreciate uh, all the uh, the, uh, the comments on Twitter. And Phil, but one last thing about UCF. How about that win last week over uh, and the way it finished with that uh, late fourth quarter touchdown? Yeah, how about that? How about that to win that? It was an exciting game. I had South Florida in the game and inside the press box plus ten. That was really not in doubt. And then uh, how about the game that Flowers played at quarterback for South Florida, though? Remember, he came in as a dark horse Heisman contender. I I think if he played that way every game this year, he might be a legitimate contender. I love the the way Quentin Flowers played last week for South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned Riley Ferguson because all of you, if you remember, go back to iTunes. When Phil and I did our AAC preview, uh, we both brought up keep an eye on Riley Ferguson this year. He's terrific, got size, he's going to be an NFL guy. He's going to get a shot as the uh, the NFL personnel folks uh, love him, and uh, you know we'll see how that all equates. But uh, Memphis, a very, very strong football program. This was going to be fun. Number 11, UCF, they're number 11 in the uh, the college football playoff rankings uh, last night, and uh, Memphis at number 16, 11-0 UCF, and uh, 10-1 Memphis. Uh, going to be a good one for sure. All right, you know what, Phil? You may uh, – Sunbelt. You mentioned the Sunbelt. We talked uh, – uh, about uh, Arkansas State and Troy. So regular season, my good buddy's a commissioner, Carl Benson. He used to be the commissioner of the Mid-American Conference. Phil, they're going to get a conference championship game next year. Hoorah for that, right? Need one, going to get one. That's a good thing. And as it is this week, though, 
the Sun Belt actually gets attention to itself. I mean, there's going to maybe be times during the course of the day Saturday when I flip on another game, you got the full slate of Sun Belt games going in. Since we promised to hit on them all, let me give a quick rundown for them. Yeah. If you're a caller, feel free to call in on FCS well, or any yeah, other well, questions. But I'll just, I'm right. just going to run through them and get, get them done. You know, Georgia State against Idaho is intriguing. Georgia State has had a better-than-expected season with six wins. Connor Manning having a very good year. But they uh, at home, they're not playing as well. And Linehan possibly could return. But if Linehan doesn't return this week, Colton Richardson has got good size at quarterback. Sort of impressed me last week. It's their last FBS game. I think Idaho can play this one tight and potentially even pull the upset. That's going to be a much better than expected game. I take the points with underdog Idaho, getting about six and a half in that one. App State against Louisiana. Louisiana really played poorly last week. They played Georgia Southern, and they've done this. There's been two or three games where Hudspeth's crew has, has played poorly, and then they usually rebound with a better game. Uh, App State is playing for a share of the Sun Belt title. So if they win, they will be one of the co-champs again this year. Uh, App State's been un- underperforming. Taylor Lambert, quarterback, only a 23-6 ratio. Uh, Louisiana's got a pretty good team. App State in this one is laying over two touchdowns. I think Louisiana plays more like the team that beat New Mexico State the previous week or won at South Alabama uh, or beat Idaho on the road. I think they make a closer game of this. I'll call it something like App State uh, 36-20, to 20, and uh, I think it'll be a little bit closer than the 14 points. Then you go to Georgia Southern against Coastal Carolina. Georgia Southern was winless. They switched their coach at midseason. They were still winless, going nowhere. I don't know what the heck water they started drinking the last two weeks, but Georgia Southern beat South Alabama 52 to nothing. Joey Jones stepped down after that, and Louisiana 34 to 24 the very next week. And uh, then you take a look at uh, their opponent here, which is Coastal Carolina. Coastal's not playing bad. I had projected them for the bottom of the Sun Belt. They're going to finish at the bottom of the Sun Belt. But remember a couple weeks ago, they went into Arkansas and almost upset Arkansas. They beat Idaho last week on the road. Tyler Keene's still questionable. They're getting good play out of Hilton Anderson. Uh, I like Coastal Carolina to keep this one closer than expected. Right now, Georgia Southern about a three-point favorite, and I think uh, Coastal. Well, no, actually, I'm, I'm probably leaning. Yeah, I got a 26 to 23 Georgia Southern in that one. So it's I got it right at the number. Okay. And then you look at New Mexico State. All right. New Mexico State, South Alabama. And, and by the way, if there's a head coach out there looking for a special teams coach. Joey Jones coached the special teams this year. South Alabama's right at the top. They're like number two. Uh, he stepped down, but I know he still has an interest in coaching, and he would be a tremendous special teams coach pickup if you're a head coach out there looking for a coach right now. And South Alabama's going to give it all. Joey Jones started this program, developed this program, and now it's his final game. But I think they're a little overmatched. Mexico State's a better team. You look at their quarterback, Tyler Rogers. I think Rogers will return. He didn't play last week. They still won. Their defense is much improved this year. The game's at New Mexico State. And if New Mexico State wins, that's six wins. The potential's there for them to get to a bowl game. That would be their first bowl game since 1960. I think this could be a great game. I've got New Mexico State winning it. But South Alabama probably gives that inspired effort for Joey Jones on his way out the door. UMass against FIU. UMass, one of the more underrated teams in the country. Four wins already this year. They opened up the year losing their first six, uh, but they their biggest loss was by 11 at Mississippi State. They lost to Tennessee by four. All their games have been close. They have blasted some opponents down the stretch. Andrew Ford, one of the better quarterbacks you never heard of. He's a Virginia Tech transfer. He's got an 18-3 to ratio, over 2,000 yards passing. Marquise Young, an outstanding running back. And Adam Brennerman, one of the top tight 
tight ends in the country. FIU's done well at home. They're a much better team at home than they are on the road. Butch Davis doing a tremendous job with this team this year, getting them to seven wins. But if I'm UMass, had the bye last week, this is my bowl game. We're going to Florida for a bowl game, boys, and I think UMass pulls out the win in that. And finally, <laughs> Florida State ULM. And you want to talk about a speech. Here's my speech uh, Monday if I'm Coach Viator for ULM. I would have been like, guys, we just clinched seven wins. We are not going to a bowl. But what if I told you at the start of the year that you were going to be playing number three Florida State in a bowl game? Would you have been excited? Excited? Yeah, you would have been through the roof. Well, guess what? That's what we're doing. This week we're going to Florida, and we're playing Florida State, and this is your bowl game, so let's go out and play well. You were 7-7 against Auburn with two minutes to go in the half. You played with the number two team in the country that well, and earlier this year uh, you played Memphis within eight. Memphis only has one loss this year. Now their defense not very good. Florida State's very underrated, but how do you get Florida State up for this game? They already had their final home game. Now it's another final home game. It's a Sun Belt team. Yeah, you have to win to get to a bowl, but there's nothing in there that says you have to win the game by 35 points. You just have to win the game. So I actually like UM, UL Monroe to keep it closer than expected, much like I did when they played Auburn. I think they were getting, what, 38 points in that game, and they only lost by 28, and the spread was never really right. a problem. And there's our wrap-up of all 16 teams. And one thing I want to throw out, Ooh. by the way, if you wanted FCS and you did not hear it on this show, FCS games, I'm going to have a complete rundown of the FCS playoffs this week. should be either Thursday or Friday on philsteel.com. Go to philsteel.com, check out the Phil Steel Plus complete roundup, and I'll go over uh, FCS games. Last week I put three FCS games up there. Two of them were underdogs and went outright. The other one won as well, a perfect 3-0 and on FCS games on the Phil Steel Plus podcast. Make sure you check that out either Thursday or Friday. You are a machine, my man. Way to roll through all of that. That is uh, tremendous. I'll be looking at Phil Steel Plus because I got to find out which way uh, Phil uh, sees an edge in the game. I'm going to call in the FCS second round playoffs again. Uh, Furman uh, heading to Walford. Uh, we got a couple of minutes left. All right, here, here's go rapid fire stuff too. Uh, Tennessee next head coach Mike Gundy or Jeff Brom? Which way are you leaning? Uh, Gundy has turned it down. Said, uh, tweeted out that he said Oklahoma State for life. So I, I, yeah, so I'd have yeah. to say Jeff Brown has got the a better chance. But yeah, do we do we really know that he's going to? What if he took it and then they said, well, no, we didn't take it. I I don't know what's going on there. But whoever steps into <laughs> yeah, Tennessee, that's... I'm not saying anything bad about the Tennessee program because I think Tennessee is a, could be a prime spot to step into. Had a very underachieving year. Whoever goes in there. <clears throat> perhaps like Jeff Brown did at Purdue. He's being uh, allotted for a 6-6 six and six finish at Purdue, which he should. He could do much the same at Tennessee next year. They get themselves to 7-8 wins. He'll be coach of the year, and uh, I think it's a good situation to step into. Yeah, I'd hate to see Coach Brown leave the Big Ten that soon because he did a terrific job at Purdue, and I think good things on the horizon. But, boy, if Tennessee comes a-calling, he'll get that Purdue buyout, and uh, away they go. Uh, Dan Mullen at Florida, real good fit, Phil Steele? Great fit. And, you know, Mississippi State every year, and I pointed it out in the magazine, and once again this year, Mississippi State finished higher than I expected. I say every year my talent ratings pick them near the bottom of the SEC West, and every year Dan Mullen overachieves. Boy, I tell you what, if he gets in there in Florida and gets Florida type of talent versus Mississippi State type of talent, where he had to rely on JUCOs, uh, then all of a sudden, Florida will be a prime contender. I love the job that Mullen did Mississippi State. He's been at Florida before, and I think it's a very good fit. Yeah, he was all Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator. He's the one that uh, developed him, Tebow, 
um, and, and for that Florida offense. So I, I do too. I think it's going to be a terrific job. And Chip Kelly, uh, can he win over Los Angeles and make it a UCLA town instead of a USC Trojans town? Well, I think it's going to be tough because USC right now is, is loaded for Bear the next couple of years. But I think Jim Moore did an excellent job developing this UCLA team. He's just hard hit with injuries, especially on the defensive front seven this year, uh, completely underperformed. Last year he lost his quarterback for half the year, just didn't get a lot of breaks. Still got the team to 6-6 six and six this year, but Moore has got talent there. So I think Chip Kelly steps into a pretty good situation, but don't expect a miracle the first year. Chip Kelly's system uh, probably going to take a year to adapt to. Uh, they really haven't known their offense. They've been through three different offense coordinators the last three years. So they don't have players on offense specifically recruited for Chip Kelly's system. So it may take them two years to make that big impact. Yeah, and one more. Let's stay in the Pac-12. Could our ESPN buddy, Phil Herman Edwards, who, of course, is more associated with the NFL game and his coaching career, could Herman Edwards be a possibility at Arizona State? Or or are they courting the pass game coordinator of Jim Harbaugh, Pep Hamilton, to go out there? Given the choice between the two, I'm going to take Herm Edwards over Pep Hamilton. But, uh, uh, you know, and the good thing is this year, uh, being at ESPN, being in the green room, got to talk to Herm numerous times. Uh, I should text him, but I don't want to, you know, text him and say, hey, you know, what's going on when he's probably being peppered with that right now. But if he gets a job, I can tell you, I'm going to send him uh, some information on, uh, you know, Arizona State and help him out a little bit because he's a good guy. And uh, I think it would be interesting to see him back in there. Now, I, I personally haven't spoken to him, so I can't tell you what he's thinking there. But if he is interviewing for the job and you're Arizona State, you might as well get him. But I will say I think Todd Graham did a great job this year. I mean, 7-5 and five this year when they were projected by the Pac-12 media to finish either last or second last in the Pac-12. Second place in the South. Uh, that's pretty good. And he's got players there. I believe Manny Wilkins, their quarterback, Nikhil Henry, the wide receiver, yes. uh, Richard and Balaj could all very well return next year. They're going to have a pretty talented to team, so it'd be a nice situation to step into, but I thought Todd Graham did a pretty good job at Arizona State. What a show. That's 60 jam-packed minutes. Phil Steele, a lot of fun, buddy. Enjoy watching um, a conference championship game weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Appreciate all the uh, the effort you put in, and uh, we'll probably wait till you know, the bowl matchups will come out. We'll get all the bowl matchups set, and then we'll do our next show as we preview the bowl season. How's that sound, Phil? Sounds good to me, and uh, yeah, there's no way I could digest 41 bowl games. They don't even decide the bowl games till like Monday or Tuesday. Start rolling in, so uh, yeah, two weeks is <laughs> definitely right. should be enough time. And and then we'll have we we'll yeah. have, we're not going to be able to go through 41 bowl games in any one show. So the beautiful thing is, go ahead, load your questions up, ask about any bowl game, and eventually, by the time the bowls are over, we'll have gone through every bowl game. And if there's bowls playing that week of the podcast, we'll make sure we touch on them, and then the other ones are free game. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Go back to work. Uh, get back to it. You and the computer battle once in a while. So you know, go ahead and, and have at it. Uh, great job today. And uh, we'll talk to you a couple of weeks from today, Phil. Always a lot of fun, Michael. And uh, it's been a great football season. I'd like to thank you and Jimmy for all the work you did on the podcast this year. And we still got plenty more podcasts this year to go. Have a great weekend, my friend. And enjoy calling that Furman and Wofford game. I'll be watching it. 
I know you will. Keep an eye on it, and we'll we'll see how you and your computer fare in deciding that one. Phil Steele, everybody, uh, always on top of his game and a superb job, and we appreciate the kind words uh, for Phil Steele, uh, producer Jim Nabosna, who does yeoman work in making this show go each and every week. I'm Michael Ruggai. Enjoy conference championship games this weekend. It's going to be phenomenal, and then at noon on Sunday, the college football playoff committee will deliver the final four. Will there be chaos this weekend, or will everything go in order? If Clemson, Auburn, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin uh, win this week, they're there, which would leave the likes of Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and Miami on the outside looking in. Enjoy it, everybody. For Phil and for producer Jim DeBosna, Michael Regai, we'll see you next time, a couple weeks from today, right here on the next edition of Strong as Steel. Till then, Enjoy the championship football. So long.